Today's Sunday, March 3rd, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 561 features the longtime radio voice of the Celtics, Sean Grandy. And I'm Evan Valenti, and today's show is powered by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the official daily fantasy partner of CLNS Media. Download the app and use the promo code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. New edition of Celtics Beat, as you may have just heard off the top. Welcome to the family prize picks. Great to have you here with CLNS and uh, look forward to a long and prosperous relationship, obviously. And we'll talk a little bit more about prize picks a little bit later on in the show. But the most important thing, obviously, as it concerns you, the listener, the viewer, is all that is going on and all that is right in the world of the Boston Celtics. 11 straight wins we come to you on the heels of just a absolute throttling, throttling, dismantling, embarrassment at the TD Garden of the Golden State Warriors. A team that, as uh, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and others said after on the Warriors' side, this is what we used to do to teams. Well, the Celtics, they were up by 40-some points at halftime, won the game by more than 50, third 50-plus point victory of the season as we sit just beyond the All-Star break at this point, and the C's rested, relaxed. I mean, nobody of note really played after halftime. Celts kept their starters out just a little bit longer, but the reserves got a whole lot of time. It was just a ton of fun. Great experience, obviously, if you were there at the Garden today. And one guy who most certainly was, and he was bringing you the action across the Sports Hub and the Celtics Radio Network, as he always does, Sean Grandy. Great to have Sean back on the show here with us. Been a little while. We've got a lot to talk about uh, concerning the broadcast, in part, but mostly the Celtics, obviously, and what is going on with this team Sean first and foremost and and we can get to some of the historical significance of of what is going on with this team and and how incredible it's been what it must be like to call these games for you this team is out to a a 48 and 12 record just never mind running away with the east running away with the entire NBA as things stand right now for regular season purposes but I mean what as you watch this unfold on a daily basis and and you are someone who's very good at at living in the moment and 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 sort of just encapsulating you know all that we have in front of us while some people like to sit and just you know kind of wake me when we get to the playoffs and and that's that's when it really matters but what has been building here that just seems to be getting better and better and better by the day to where this team truly I, I know anyone can be beaten clearly but this team just has that aura of unbeatability about it on a a night-to-night basis i called every game every second in 2008 this is the most storied franchise in the history of the game and they've through 60 games outperformed all of the celtics teams that have come before it it is that simple it is that cannot be argued anymore at this point it's funny you keep waiting for the high point right you keep waiting for the peak and then for it to drop off and two years ago when the Celtics made that unbelievable run and they were beating the living heck out of people. I think statistically it wasn't there as much in people's heads because they had had the 500 start. They were under 500 right in January, but that team finished 28-7 and outscored teams by 15 a game over the final 35. It was unprecedented what that team did over 35 games, but there was that moment, right? They finally went from 11th to 1st and Rob Williams got hurt in that Sunday night game against Minnesota. And they were really good after that, but they were never quite the same again. And you keep waiting 
for that moment to happen. Oh, that peak, the, the beat down of Brooklyn. That's going to be the, you know, that game in my uh, obscene Thursday night game in Miami, like the best offensive game, best true shooting game. Like since they've been keeping track of that stat, you keep waiting for these high points. And now what you're doing is documenting every night they're playing at this unprecedented high level offensively. And it continues and they do it again and again and again. One thing I haven't had a chance to look up, they've averaged 1.19 points per possession, which is, Basically a lead-leading number, not anymore, <laughs> the way the game is being played. But they've done that in every game of the 11-game win streak. In every game, they have played at an elite offensive level. So I hear what you're saying. We'll get to the playoff people because I've started going to Kembe Mutombo block on all of the – well, they haven't done in the playoffs. If you're if you're of that mindset, there's a, in one of the great literary films, right, of our era, the great The Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> There's a scene, right, in which uh, Gonzo and Rizzo basically say, listen, this is too scary for us. We'll meet you at the finale. All right? That's my feeling right now. You want to be playoff playoff people and it's all the world's going to come crashing down? Meet us in May. We'll see mm. you there. In the meantime, all you can do is play the schedule in front of you, and no one has played an 82-game schedule better to this point in Celtics history than this team, which now, as you guys know, has the fifth-best scoring differential in the history of the game and the four teams above them all won the championship. We're officially at the point, and, you know, if you know this, we've talked a lot about it, Sean. I certainly don't need to tell you. It's, you know, part of it is the the way the industry works now, the, the media industry, where it's it's much more hot takey type discussion what? driving conversation than it is oh. you know nuanced conversation. I know this is a mind-blowing statement on my part, but you know, it's so it's not a surprise when you hear like Stephen A. Smith. I don't know if you caught it, but, you know, he said post game on uh, NBA countdown that the Celtics like this game specifically for him solidified the fact that the Celtics have no excuse, none, not to win a championship. Something that, you know, Kendrick Perkins, of course, former Celtic, former champion here was on set emphatically agreed he's been saying it for a while yet bob myers who was an architect of all those warriors championship teams he was on set agreed there's no excuse we have had all sorts of people locally have been saying this for a while it's the whole you know i just think there is a difference and and call me nuts i think there's a difference between saying this team has achieved so much to a certain point and has so much experience and 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 all these you know near uh, obviously got to the the championship against the warriors and and i wouldn't call it a choke but it was certainly a blown opportunity last year you know failed to live up to everyone's expectation now this year you could look at it as many people are and say it's it's not finals or bust it is championship or bust it's banner 18 or bust for this team and i don't even fault people for feeling that way for looking at it and saying anything less than a title is is you know a, a failure or a disappointment people like to use those words that's fine I don't I I will not condemn that but where you sit there and say and maybe I'm just splitting hairs maybe it's semantics but when you sit there and say that this team has no excuse I immediately point to a couple of things one it's March I mean March just started March just started. And and sure, if, if they look like this, you know, just roster composition-wise, everyone's healthy in April, May, June, I'll agree with you. They are the best, the, mo- the deepest team, the most dangerous team in the NBA. I'm with you. Let's do it. Go hoist that thing. But look no further than what, you know, just happened to 
Jalen Brunson and the Knicks today. And I don't look at the Knicks as a, a championship threat or anything like that, but Brunson is their best player. He is yet another guy on that New York team to go down. And it, we don't know the severity of it as, as we talk right now, but it didn't look good. The, the Celtics, you said this before we came on, any team is just that one injury away. I don't know how anybody can look at it and just say, you know, how does this team possibly not win a title? Well, how about Jason Tatum, heaven forbid, suffers a, a season-ending injury on April 1st? That's that's how this team doesn't win a title. So I, I, I just think the whole conversation, I know people have, like, you know, airtime to fill across tv radio whatever but i just think the whole conversation is so stupid because you, you can't you can't account for health you can't predict health you you just hope for the best at that point in time the question of course is how would they lose if the celtics don't win the championship how does it happen that they don't lose did the sixers get Embiid back healthy play the celtics in the first round and knock them out because the celtics don't play well that's one thing does Porzingis and Tatum get hurt? And that leads to a series. The two best Celtic teams that didn't win, that had amazing regular seasons. The number one team of all time was 1973, the team that has the franchise record for most wins. They didn't win. As Havlicek got hurt in the semifinals, and Dean Memminger came in and won game seven for the Knicks, and the Knicks went on to win the championship right in 1973, the second time they beat the Lakers. And the other team was 2009 when Kevin Garnett got hurt. So we have no idea. Listen, that's the only hot take theater you can do on the Celtics right now. The other thing that's happening slowly, and you guys have probably picked up on it, is the raising of the bar – now, if the Celtics don't get to the finals, not only is it a failure, now they have to do it easily. Now, if they're if they're going six games or more in these series, that's the new hot take on the Celtics is now they have to get to the finals easily. That's the new, oh, but we better raise the bar and make it more complicated and have more things. And all of that is fine. When the time comes, the time comes. We, I have been doing this for a long time. This is 23 years with the Celtics, and I have never seen a year in which every single day seems to be about preparation for what is coming in the postseason. And when we talk about a Joe Mazzulla press conference, Joe Mazzulla battling with the media, it's not about now. It's about when you lose game three in the second round at Madison Square Garden and you go down 2-1 to the Knicks, and then all these people that have nothing to say right now all come flying out of the woodwork. And Joe Mazzulli can't coach, and Jason Tatum can't win a big game, and all these narratives. Can you imagine what are people going to do with themselves if the Celtics win? Because all this Jason Tatum stuff and the Joe Mazzulli stuff, it all it all vanishes and go away. goes away. In the meantime, all we can do is point out subtle things like our national people, as we're talking at Sunday night, our national people on Monday going to call out Steve Kerr and go at him for pulling the starters out because – Two months ago, I was at a game in Milwaukee when Joe Mazzulla pulled all the starters out when the Celtics were playing their fifth game in seven nights and it played overtime the night before, and Joe Mazzulla got killed. How can you quit on the game and pull the starters out? Steve Kerr did the exact same thing today. Both coaches were exactly right to do it, but it's that sort of little subtle treatment. It's the same thing. What's the other narrative all year we've heard? They don't win this game last year. They don't win this game last year. You know what that is? That is a shot at Joe last year. It's a shot at the maturity of Tatum and Brown. It's a shot at Marcus Smart. It's all in that. You know why the Celtics are winning a lot of these games they didn't win last year? Because they got a seven foot three guy in the middle that you can't stop that they didn't have last year. Okay. That's the primary reason, one of the main reasons this team has taken the huge step forward. So narratives are fun. I'm not a hater on hot take theater. I love it. I'm fascinated now how JJ Reddick is going to walk in both those worlds now on the lead team <laughs> on ABC and then do, you know, can he do both of those things? Because that is the difficulty for people like me 
Like I understand the hot take theater world. I could speak that language if I chose to, but I'm on I'm on the other side of that of that world. So I I get it. I love it. Stephen Stephen A is the best to ever do it, and he's awesome and the hardest working man in show business. But that is the other 21 hours of the day, and there's programming that has to air and people that have to be paid and ads that have to be sold. But for the three hours when real life is happening, when the games are actually happening, you got to call what you see. And what's happening right now is nobody ever wants to say, oh, this, the 86 Celtics are the greatest team of all time. And if the Celtics don't win the championship this year, they're going to go into that same list, right, with 73 and 09. But if they keep this up and they win the championship, I wasn't here for 86, but I was here for 08. And this team was stride for stride with 08. Now they've now they've gone past it. We'll see what we're going to see in the spring. but And maybe this is the year things break for the Celtics the way they broke for Denver last year. And, you know, you've had you have bad luck the other way. In Toronto, when they won the championship, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, both go down in the finals. You think some kid in Toronto took his takes his championship pennant down when he looks at it on the wall and goes, you know, yeah, that was nice that we won, but whatever. <laughs> you think you think they do that? They don't do that. They think Denver Denver last year had statistically the easiest path to a championship of all time. You think that's what people think when they raise the banner and they have the parade and Mike Malone's partying without a shirt on? You think they're going, yeah, but we had kind of an easy path to the final. <laughs> It's actually oh, the exact opposite. What they do is they sit there and say, see, oh, this is what happens when Jokic has all his healthy guys around him finally. We go all up, we do, win. All you can do is all you can do. And that's you put a team that's got a chance to win. And history, if the Celtics do win, history is going to look at what Brad Stevens did. How many people are going to walk away from a team that easily could have won game seven last year if Tatum doesn't turn his ankle and go to the finals and make significant changes to it? That take some rocks to do. And he, so uh, I just told my, my message tonight is if you can't enjoy these 82 games before the 83rd game, and and you guys know this too, I back me on it because it's something that I believe strongly feeling the air around here. I think the Bruins last year plays into some of what is going on and them having this amazing historic regular season and then losing in the first round, I think that further damaged the psyche around here. And there's an element of, you know, there's the negative people. There's also the fear about what could happen in the playoffs. So what if they don't win after this great regular season they have? And as Max always said years ago, scared, get a dog. I mean, you you can't be scared going going to battle with the guys you have on this team right now. This is this should be bring it on. As they've approached this six-game stretch of national TV games and high-profile games, like, really? This is the tough part of the schedule? Bring it on. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that drives me crazy is the people that can't like get any excitement out of this team until the playoffs happen. They're like, well, you know, playoffs have to be a different time. Like, you know, they have to they have to prove this to me in the playoffs is my favorite. It's like, okay, so we can't enjoy – what I'm currently watching on TV every three or fourth night on the schedule. I, I think this has been an enlightening experience uh, in some different ways, but like, especially lately, it's just a, a really good snapshot of what good basketball on both ends of the floor looks like. And I loved, um, shout out to Jared Weiss, who was on the show last week. I loved his piece about Joe and the stuff that Joe talked about in terms of how transition fuels both sides the game isn't just one court and the other court a lot of the in-between stuff dictates what happens on both ends it was really really fascinating and, I th- and this team has been just so fun to watch I guess 
again, the people that are like, hey, wait, this is a different team, right? If this is the same team as last year where you're like, well, yeah, sure, you know, we got to prove it to me in the playoffs. Sure, that's fine. But this is a way different team. The addition of Porzingis, as you mentioned, John, is, I mean, it can't be overstated. It's, it's really made this team really unguardable if they're really hitting. Versus, is- go ahead. No, I was going to say one of the things we romanticize about is because I don't want to. I don't want you to skip by that point. If you look at the six year, the new big three era, as I called it, right, it's from two thousand seven to two thousand thirteen, the Celtics won in the first year. So with that weight, with that backpack off, they never had that on their shoulders, right? The one that this team has because they've been close in different incarnations, the Jays, whatever this area is, they've been close and they haven't won. So it, that pressure builds up. The Celtics won that first year. And these teams, the last couple of years for the Celtics, have blown away the 2010, 2011, 2012 Celtics. Like it's not, it's not even close, but because they won that championship, that weight was off. And yeah, they should have won in 2010. They could have won the second and they didn't. But that whole dynamic, I think, is fueling what you're talking about, which is people not appreciating what's going on here that there are 25 teams in the NBA that have never gotten close to having any kind of regular season like the one you're having now because Again, part of what we talked about generationally, right? With six Super Bowls. I don't know. Maybe one day they'll do a 10 part documentary about the Patriots football. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Bruins having this record season and their, their Stanley Cup win, the Red Sox, the unthinkable happening four times in the last 20 years and the Red Sox winning the World Series. It's changed the dynamic here from when I first came back from, from Minnesota when they were celebrating just going to the conference finals, right? In 02, there was a big, you know, one to have a parade for that team. And now if the Celtics lose in the conference finals this year, people are going to, you know, lose their, lose their minds if that happens when it's hard to get to the final eight out of 30. It's hard, really hard to get to the final four out of 30. And championship or bust is fine, but they can't, you can't play a playoff game on March the 4th. So if you're not enjoying these two weeks and you're not, you know, Max always makes fun of me because some of the big games I used to rub my hands together like, all right, here we go. If you can't enjoy Thursday night and what that's going to be, and the only game where there were probably two games left in the whole schedule where there was going to be angst if the Celtics lost. The first one was the Sunday afternoon game, right, against Golden State, and the Celtics squeaked by that test, just squeaked by by, you know, 58-point lead at some point. And the Thursday game at Denver, and that you watch. If the Celtics lose by a single point Thursday night in Denver – that's all you'll get the rest of the way is, yeah, it was a great regular season this, but, man, no, they can't beat Denver. Even Bill Simmons put it out today, right? Denver's still the team to beat. Okay, that's that's all cool. That's fine. But I remember all through the 2015, 2014-15 season saying to Max and everybody, Golden State's going to win. They're going to win because they are playing like a championship team. They were the number one defensive team that year that people forget about. But people couldn't picture it because they hadn't won. You could not picture them winning. And so – you have all I've said all year repeatedly over and over again is the Celtics have checked all of the boxes. And the end of that sentence is they've checked all of the boxes of teams that go on to win the championship. So all you can do, they have literally not only passed every test, they have destroyed pretty much everything that has been put in front of them through 60 games. So if you're a Celtic fan, you shouldn't be afraid of the playoffs. You should be saying, when can they start? Totally. And you go back to that Denver game really quickly, only just because you're going to be backing me up on this. They lost barely to Denver the first time. And what drove me crazy was the stuff after it about how, oh, they didn't move the ball. And it was, but if you actually watched the game and Sean watched the game more than most of the people that comment on that. 20 layups that night. It was 20 layups and lost by two. Okay. I, 
it that drove me nuts. Sorry, Kaufman. I just I I'm still like hung up on that. My oh, I mean, I I do want to keep going with the the Denver component to this conversation. It's it's not just Bill Simmons. Uh, you know, I've seen some other people say something similar, but the reverse side of that that I that I've heard from so many people. Now these are mostly you know Boston media people or or just fans, quite frankly. You know, I I just I keep hearing about how the Celtics are so head and shoulders above everybody else in the NBA, which, you know, statistically you could look at and say, sure. And the way they're playing. All right. No, I mean, I, I can't really argue it, but when you get into a seven game playoff series, I think you have to consider everything. And the fact that obviously Denver was just there and just did it. Jokic is the best player in the world. He is the front runner for MVP. That is no slight on Jason Tatum, who is, you know, elite in his own right, a, a top three, if not top five player. And, you know, at some point in time, in all likelihood, will win an MVP and hopefully will win a finals MVP. And, and in a dream world, that's this year. That would be wonderful. But I, I feel like there's a little bit, maybe not from Simmons and, and some of the others of, of that ilk, but certainly around here locally, there's a, a certain amount of really just sort of taking everybody else, especially a team like Denver, lightly and for granted. You know, you want to take like Minnesota or OKC or an injury plague Phoenix or the Clippers or, you know, Philly with even with Embiid, he, he's historically not figured it out against Boston, you know, the the Bucs, and, and they've looked a lot better since the All-Star break, but, you know, you want to question, like, Doc's playoff record and, and will they, you know, get into a, a series lead and blow it. Like, you can put holes in everybody. That's fine. I I just, I don't know how you can look at Denver, if healthy, and say, yeah, they're head and shoulders above the Nuggets. Are you kidding me? Like, I absolutely think, one, I think if the Celtics had had, had won that Game 7 and reached the finals last year, I don't know how it would have played out, but I can tell you my money would have been on Denver. I think yeah. the Nuggets would have won that series. This year, I would go the other way. I would pick Boston based on what we've seen so far, but I don't think it's a walk in the park, as you you know alluded to earlier. I don't think it'd just be easy. I mean, do, do you feel like people are taking Denver for granted here? Uh, I think there's a little bit of that. I, I think it really depends on who you talk to because, again, I don't think – People, people here are locally saying that if people are, don't take Denver seriously, they're not really watching the NBA now, but to this point through 60 games, the Celtics have been head and shoulders above Denver because they've been head and shoulders above everybody else. And by the way, Oklahoma city and Minnesota had played head and shoulders above Denver. Denver's found a way to win close games and they're great. And the dude is an all time, all timer easily could win MVP every year. They're a great team. And when it comes down to it, Again, when I'm when I talk about the Celtics in these series and how you have to feel, I put it this way: We just talked about that game, that Denver game they lost. And the Celtics going to lose playoff games? Of course they are. They're going to have bad three point shooting nights and lose as a result. And people are going to lose their mind when the Celtics go twenty two for forty five. Nobody says a word about the three point shooting. But when they have <laughs> the game where they go ten for forty one, oh, they take too many threes because they don't take too many when they don't go in. Are the Celtics going to have that? Yes, but you have to understand. This is going to have to happen four times in a seven-game series. The Celtics have to be really bad, not medium, mediocre. They have to be bad offensively to lose games. This is playing out now with the offensive rating. I think 109 is the number, which is not a good number. And the Celtics, once they get to 109, are like 43-1 and this year. When they shoot 32% from three, which is a bad number, 
They're something like 44 and three, these crazy numbers. The Celtics have to have a bad offensive night, a really bad one to lose. They will, and it's going to happen, and people are going to lose their minds. But it's going to happen four times in a seven-game series. And by the way, some of these East teams are really good. Like I said, these are going to be, if, as I said, in that this imaginary scenario where the Knicks come up and win a game in Boston, you know what Madison Square Garden is going to be like if it's 1-1 going back to MSG for game three? They there people are so hungry for it down there. I think I can tell you right now, like Mike Breen and I are two of many, many people that have been dreaming about a New York Boston playoff series for a while. Look like maybe be the conference finals, but with the injuries, obviously New York is dropping back in the pack. And I get it. people are scared to death. By the way, the one team you haven't mentioned is the one that keeps people up at night around here, which is Miami. But again, that's because I treat them like Beetlejuice, Sean. I don't want to say their name. You don't I'm say their name. Well, you know I'm what? I'm afraid that Butler's just going to walk through the door. Let me take care of it for you. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler. Because <laughs> you cannot be afraid anymore because if, they go, if they're going to sell this, you're going to lose, they're going to lose. But, man, if you can't just get on the bandwagon and enjoy this ride, enjoy what's coming up, this team has been preparing for those moments, for that series, for everything that's coming all year. So bizarre things happen. Injuries happen. Strange things happen with you know the uncontrollables, right? You control the controllables. I just hope people can snap out of all of the championship success here in New England in the last two decades and try at least to enjoy these last six weeks of a season that people are going to be looking back on because you know how this works now. 20 years from now, when Deuce Tatum has a bad playoff game, they're going to be like, oh, he's not his dad. Man, his dad his dad never had a game. Whereas now in real time, people go after Tatum. Tatum had a rough playoff game whatever it was, a couple of years ago, and I remember somebody complaining about it, and I listed nine games, nine individual games that a player had had. Uh, two for 12, 4.6 turnovers, three for 14, minus whatever, and they were nine games that Paul Pierce had during the 2008 playoffs in which he was finals MVP. So all that stuff gets erased. Larry's bad games get erased because he won championships. Paul Pierce's bad game, that 08 team suddenly could do no wrong. Called every minute that year. They had a three-game losing streak after the All-Star break and then went down 18 in the fourth game in Portland before they came back and won. They lost three out of four to Washington. They lost three straight games to that Gilbert Arenas team. And, you know, in these things happen, not to mention what happened in the playoffs when they went, uh, what did they go, 30, 31 and 10 on the road in the regular season and then lost the first six road playoff games. So, you know, the standards now, when I heard the people last week say, well, Celtics better, they better win these series in four or five games in the East. I'm like, do you have any idea how hard this is? I, I hope we all hold ourselves to the same standards mm-hmm. and are, you know, that we, I, I'm glad all your kids get A pluses in every report card in every class. That's the high standard that you let you live your life. But I hope people can enjoy a little bit of this, uh, this fun and show business here over the last 22 games. Cause this team is too much fun not to, because all you have to do is take your cue from the bench. Uh, have you seen, I, I don't think Jalen Brown has smiled as much in his life as he has smiled over the last four months. Like Christoph Porzingis, he's MVP for that. He's got Jalen Brown smiling every night. Like this is, it's amazing. It's fun to watch. And I hope, uh, you know, people are enjoying it. That's all. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's a tournament season or the fight for a playoff home court. There's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. 
Testing my skills on prize picks this season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $1,000 with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play, and I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Download the app today and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. Use the code CLNS for the first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Do you think Brad's getting enough credit in that sense, not just from the on-court fit, which has clearly worked out, you know, yeah. almost beyond imagination, but the fit of personalities and and just how well that he has brought this group together. And I, you know, people, some people will always look at that stuff as like a shot at Marcus Smart. And, you know, he occasionally he'd, he'd have that, you know, a, a brotherly, a sibling relationship with Jalen Brown. Sometimes they butted heads and other, you know, but they, they still speak glowingly, glowingly of each other. And I, I do believe there's, there's a love there. So like none of this has to do with Marcus Smart. Take that away completely. It's more about just, man, this group, this locker room, I mean, there is an infatuation with one another, to your point. Well, I'll say this. If the Celtics win 16 playoff games, everybody's going to get enough credit for the rest of their life. Joe Will and Brad Will, and you're going to be, these are going to be made men forever and ever and ever if it does end up happening. But I, you know, who knew when Brad got the coaching job by a press release, right, in July of 2013, we didn't know. We thought, wow, this could work out. Who knew he'd become, and it didn't take long to figure out, he was going to become a great coach in the league. When the GM thing happened and the Danny thing happened after 2021, we were all disconnected anyway because that was like heart of the pandemic, right, which we're almost four years away from, you know, that day in Milwaukee when the world ended and we're all, you know, sort of reliving it now. That who knew what Brad, you know, what how he was going to do in this job. I always thought one day, I didn't think it was going to be that day. I always thought one day, I wonder if he's going to do this and have success at it. And, you know, is he going to be able to make the cold, hard decisions, including, you know, trading Marcus Smart with a half-hour deadline before, you know, in that Porzingis thing when the Brogdon physical didn't work. And, you know, listen, history is going to record that, that whole, the, the diagonal, the switch, the pivot off Brogdon to Marcus Smart, and then Drew Holiday suddenly becoming available Later, you know, this has got a chance to be one of these legendary things mm-hmm. we're going to remember. You know, there's there's two things I've talked about. There's that, and there's I think we just had today as we're talking. It's March third, which is the anniversary of Kevin McHale breaking the single game scoring record, which Larry yeah, you guys talking about later. That on the radio earlier. Right, and as, so as I, Max said, he, he as he views it, the day that he realized he was no longer starting for the Boston. That's right. Football. And, you know, here here we are. I stare up at number 32 right now, and I realize uh, it's quite possible that Kevin McHale is going to be the second most important McHale in the history of the Boston Celtics franchise. Pause, two, three, four. Because Mikhail Prokhorov is the guy that made that deal with the Nets in 2013 to give the Celtics Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And maybe, just maybe, we're going to take 32 down and put Prokhorov's name up, right, in, the, in that spot. Yeah, so here's – you know, you you have 23 years of perspective here. Mm. I lived through 08 and all those playoff runs and the finals in 2022. I know very well what could be coming. And so you want to to document each of these moments as they happen that, okay, the answer to the Celtics just became the first team in NBA history to win three games by 50 points in the same season. The Celtics, who had 
258-point leads or 358-point, 56-point leads in franchise history, had now done it twice in the last six games, the response to that is not, well, let's see him do it in the playoff. No, that's that's not the response. The response is, wow, that's unbelievable what they've done today. Al Horford, I put a tweet out today when Al got the 14,000 points. He's one of nine first ballot Hall of Famers to hit these statistical milestones, right, in the last 50 years. Tatum and Jay, you know, in the new big three era, it seemed like every night we were documenting, hey, Ray Allen just passed this guy, and Kevin Garnett's now 14th on the scoring list. Well, now Jason just passed Antoine Walker on the Celtics list. Jalen is going to get to 10,000 points before the end of the year. He said also he's about to get his 1,003, and I've got a great number that I'm not going to spill right now. But when he gets that 1,003, keep an eye out on your on your Twitter X Twix machine for that because it's unbelievable statistically what these guys done. And then the biggest one of all when we get deep in the playoffs, and they will go deep in the playoffs, is how old was Michael Jordan when he won the first championship? How old was LeBron? When he finally won right. the first championship, and Jason Tatum is newly minted twenty-six-year-old, and Jalen Brown is twenty-seven. So imagine if if they win now, they're winning it early. They're winning about, a championship early compared to these other guys. I just I thought about this earlier today, and it was just funny that this has gone this direction. Is Jason Tatum, Steph Curry getting hot, and Andrew Wiggins being the best version of himself? Uh, that away from being Dwayne Wade because he would have won a twenty four. D Wade oh. won twenty three. Yeah, I, I don't think there's. That, listen, I think you know you, you you guys and I have had this before. I've said if this if Jason and Jalen win one championship, no championships or five championships, they're always going to know that twenty twenty two is one they should have gotten, and it got away for a variety of reasons. Tatum wasn't great in the finals. To what degree he's still being punished for that? I I don't have any idea. Wiggins was not, look at Wiggins now. Right. He's going through the personal issues. He was really struggling in the first half of this year. Steph went crazy. It was actually Jalen. It was the Celtics best player. Jalen going into the second half of game four was the MVP of the final. Celtics were up two games to one going to the second half of game four in a close game. And at that point, Jalen was the best player. He was the MVP in that series. And then Steph was Steph and Wiggins was Wiggins. And that's all part of the part of the learning curve. Right. But no, no doubt. And that's why it's the same thing I'm talking about, about Toronto winning. Denver winning last year. Nobody remembers the little details of guys who get it. Nobody's going to remember. I mean, people in Boston will remember Jason Tatum turning his ankle on the first possession in game seven last year, but that'll always be Miami coming and winning game seven and winning on the road in game seven, just as the Celtics had done the year before. That was the story that you know, the story last year was the Celtics have to finish their story, right? They've got a unfinished business from Golden State celebrating in their locker room when everyone forgot it was the Celtics who had celebrated in Miami's locker room in game seven of the conference finals. And that ended up being the full circle story with Miami coming back and winning. So of course the margin is just, is so thin usually with all these championships, unless you have a team that is so historically good. What if instead of losing, what if instead of choking as the experts will say, what if instead of finding a way to lose, or having the nerve, the temerity to go six or seven games in some of these series on the way to the championship, what if they don't? What if the Celtics don't go six or seven games in these series mm-hmm. and end up rolling through as some of these teams? I know ever I can feel, Grandy, don't say it. Don't say it out loud. Stop being scared. Start facing the fact that while it's possible that the Celtics will lose in the playoffs and it's possible they'll win and scratch and claw, we got to face the fact that the possibility exists that maybe this isn't going to be that difficult, that they are right now playing at a historical level of teams that didn't really struggle 
on their way to a championship. But that's a possibility too. So why not, instead of being afraid of what could happen, be excited about what could happen? I do want to piggyback off of Kaufman for just a second because you asked how impressive is the the Brad Stevens stuff. John, you've gone through, a, a, I would say, you know, a, a couple of new coaching faces entering the league as head coaches for the first time. How impressive is it of what Joe Mazzulla is doing right now? Because I don't think he's getting nearly enough credit for some of the stuff that they're doing on both ends. And he won't. Actually, he won't. Before you, before you answer that, it's it's more than that, Ev. I still have people actively in my Twitter mentions saying how bad Joe Mazzulla is. But, that, that's going to be the way of it. And by the way, some of those people, if the, if Joe Mazzulla is in a duck boat on June sixteenth, they're still going to say it. You can yeah, already see, see that now. Spite of yes. This season narrative was set before the year, right? If the Celtics lose, it's Joe's fault. If they win, it was the players who did it. I think everyone that that was that was pretty clear. Know this about Joe Mazzulla. Nobody in NBA history was ever thrust into the spot he was in, with the exception of Billy McKinney flying off his bike and Westhead getting that job with the Lakers. There is no statistical comp for a, a coach at that age at that experience level being thrust into a must-win pressure championship environment. And history, and this is the the best statistical comp in some ways is Spo, right? Because Spo was a young guy and he was thrown in. He had some success. Spo, when LeBron got there, remember the first year when LeBron got there? Spo can't handle it. It's too much pressure. There's too much the expectations are too high. He and LeBron aren't on the same page. They were going after Spo. Back in Miami the first year, that was Spoh's third year as the head coach. Imagine, go back five years, three years earlier, you talked about Dwayne Wade, that Miami team in 06. The only comparison with Spolstrip is if they had yanked him out of the – they go to the – win the championship in 2006. And the next year, defending the title when they're supposed to win again, there's no Pat Riley, there's no Stan Van Gundy, and they go grab a kid nobody's heard of out of the video room, Eric Spolstrip, and throw him on there. He had already been a head coach for two full years, and he got to do it away from the – Spotlight because Miami wasn't that good. And remember 2010, he first got my attention because Miami had no good defensive players and they were really good defensively. The year the Celtics played them in the first round of the playoffs and Wade had that crazy game four down there that that was, you know, the first, wow, what's, what's going on with this Eric Spolster guy, the same way we've seen now, you know, Mark Dagnall, Chris Finch and all the other new coaches. And you realize coaching's at a pretty high level, by the way, which is why you can't do both anymore. That, that ship has long since sailed, right? You can't be coaching GM. It's too complicated. It's too intricate. There's too many high-level guys doing it. But Joe is trying to do something that essentially hasn't – obviously, Westhead won the championship in 1980, as we all learned on HBO's winning time. Which went a little south I'm so that. sad. Yeah. I'm so, I, I don't I'll, – I'll say it. Nobody else is allowed to say it. I miss that show. I miss Sunday nights watching. I like that show. No, I, I mean, it. as long as you accept, you know, how, how just – blown out of proportion a lot of the first stuff. year especially and i think they toned a lot of that stuff down in the second year i think as i said i probably said it on here i certainly tweeted it when it happened winning time getting canceled with the celtics winning the championship is as on brand for red controlling things from beyond the grave as anything <laughs> ever yeah i remember your tweet with the screenshot of the you know the yeah right max <laughs> right right the guy playing max who worked out a little more than Max. <laughs> Back at the time, that was uh, you took, took two maxes and put them together. You probably would have gotten the bulk of the dude that was playing him in the uh, in the show. But yeah, I, I loved it. But again, that's the only. It's just funny because that that's really the only precedent for Joe being thrust into the spot. And the other thing is, and this is the opposite of a knock on 
on Ben Sullivan and Damon Stoudemire and those guys because they were amazing in accepting their roles mm-hmm. last year, which sometimes you have to do. You got to have humility, right? And accept your role with an organization. And I thought they were great last year doing it. But you know, as that season went on, that those guys were trying to figure out what am I going to do next? And Damon leaving when he left, and he, he should have. Obviously, it was a great job, right, to get at Georgia Tech. That coaching staff was also thrown together at the last second they, and thrust into that season right before training camp. Last year, they didn't have an off. You know, Joe's had an off season now. He's got a staff. It's his staff. And, uh, again, there's just no precedent for the position he's in. And if he ever wins, uh, you know, bring the people. They're still saying, oh, they won in spite of Joe. Like, just pay attention to what's going on. And more, more to the point, listen to his peers. That's that's all you have to do here. Listen to his peers. Listen to Mike Brown. Listen to Steve Kerr. Listen to the guys talk about what Joe Mazzola and the staff have done. Take your cue from that, not the perceptions of hot take theater. That's all. So, Sean, since uh, since I know you well enough to know that uh, you don't make remarks like sometimes you need to know your role and accept humility within an organization, uh, you know, since you don't just say those things offhandedly without there being purpose behind oh, you. Oh, sure I do. But uh, yeah. you, uh, you, you were on this show with us uh, roughly six months ago. And we were talking about, obviously, the – uh, pursuit of Mike Gorman's successor, what that was going to look like, when it was going to happen, who it was going to be, all that would go into the process of making that decision. You were very forthcoming about saying that you were obviously interested in both roles, you know, calling games on TV, doing radio, talking about how the last couple of years uh, have really been highlights for you in, in your career in terms of the diversity of the two and all the different partners you've been able to work with and uh, just it's you know you want to continue that balance basically and uh, so you know then obviously shortly thereafter we get the news that Drew Carter was uh, hired by NBC Sports Boston to uh, ultimately be Mike's uh, well again successor eventual replacement as as he uh, goes off into the sunset maybe a little sooner than some expected in terms of the announcement I, I think a lot of people I don't know about you but I think a lot of people you know, just didn't in, in the space felt that, you know, this year's going to be all about Mike, which it is kind of, but it would be like all about Mike. And then, you know, and, and you would still do what you've done the last couple of years and, and do some road games and do some TV and, and uh, you know, maybe other people, they, they do the players only broadcast they've done in the past or Mannix or whoever. And then, you know, after Mike was gone, then whether it's you or the new guy, but instead, you know, we've got this, hybrid this year to where you know drew comes in obviously and and everything was maybe uh, i don't know about within nbc sports boston but again in the minds of i think a lot of people in just the celtics community maybe it was sped up a little bit so i i want to reference a couple articles that chad finn wrote over at the boston globe uh one of those was early october he wrote to many Celtics fans, it comes as a surprise that Sean Grandy, who has worked Celtics radio broadcasts alongside Cedric Maxwell since the 01-02 season, more than two decades, will not be Gorman's successor. Grandy and Maxwell both signed contracts extensions several months ago to remain uh, calling games on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Grandy juggled the two roles last year, calling more than 20 games for NBC Sports Boston, had expressed some interest on the Celtics Beat podcast. Thank you uh, for shouting that out, Chad. On taking both roles, reached by text on Wednesday, he chose not to comment. A couple weeks later, another article about this. He has a quote from Kevin Miller, who wrote or, or who told Chad, 
I have a ton of respect for the way that Sean calls games. Certainly has a great connection to Celtics fans, has been around the organization for 20 years. He was definitely given the utmost consideration, but just as we got down to the final stages, it just became more about Drew and less about anyone else. You have not made a comment on this whole thing since it happened. And, you know, we've we've got you back here. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you, you hear everything that I just read and you've had plenty of, you know, conversations that you've had behind the scenes. What is your reaction to, obviously, where you are now, how it all played out? Both teams played hard. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, yeah, there's a reason that you haven't heard me say anything in the last six months about it. And I would refer everybody, if you were happy about Chad shouting out the podcast, I would refer everybody to what I said when we had what was a pretty long conversation about it in August. Because if you look back at the things I said then, it was that this year needs to be about Mike. And that is the primary reason I haven't said anything. Uh, I said in August that I think 2024, this summer, is when everything is kind of going to get decided, how this is going to play out in the future. And I still feel that way. And what I would, the only thing I would add to that, in addition to this, if you're interested in the broadcast stuff, pay attention to Mike. Because, by the way, after as we're talking now, I think there's only nine home games left. So we're down to the precious few. Mike's obviously going to do the games that NBC is allowed to do in the first round of the playoffs. But we're down to a select few games here. So if, you know, get your Mike Gorman fix now, that is the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is um, the last thing I'm going to do is interject. I just spent 45 minutes talking to you about enjoying this season. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care, if you don't want the season to be about Mike, then it needs to be about this team in 2023 and 24. And whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And the only promise I can give you today is the same one I gave you in August is that wherever, whatever role I'm in now, whatever role I'm going to be in, in the future, you're going to get the best you can get. And I think Max and I, our job is to document this championship season. And so there's, you, you can waterboard me. I'm not going to have any comment on the broadcast situation, especially now, you know, when the playoffs are over and we get off the duck boat, I think it's fair game then. Right. And, and when we go into the off season, but for now, I just think, and obviously a lot of people have asked the question and there's a reason for six months, you haven't seen a comment and still won't from me on what has happened, what is going to happen or whatever, because I I'm of the belief that I can't, I know you care and Evan, you care. And I know there's a select few people. It seems that cares and Steve Bopet, you know, long time, right. Celtic speed writer. We kind of argued about this a couple of weeks ago that a lot of people would care. And I don't, I don't really think that's the case. I think people care that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have a chance to win a championship. And I think that, you know, broadcast stuff is, to me, it's inside baseball stuff for mm -hmm. a lot of people. And if I just spent 45 minutes saying enjoy the season, enjoy the broadcast too. Because right now you got Grandy and Max, you still have Mike Gorman doing some games on TV here. And when it's time to reassess everything, we'll reassess everything. But that's the reason I haven't said anything and the reason I just spent five minutes answering a question without really saying anything. Uh, because I've got that, that skill too. Both teams played hard. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only follow I have to that, though, is if Drew was brought on to be Mike's successor and you've got the contract extension with the sports hub and, you know, like and, and then Mike is obviously out of the picture after this year is isn't it written or is is there still something that's subject to change in future seasons? I think that anything is subject to change and don't read that into anything that may it may very well happen the way 
you just read stuff is happening. It there are again, you're trying to corner me into making a comment about the situation. What I'm saying is I will answer any questions and deal with the stuff in the summer when it's time to deal with it. When everything happened the way you're describing it, it happened. You know, we just talked 10 minutes ago about Joe Mazzula and the coaching staff getting thrust into a situation they weren't expected to be in three days before the start of training camp. That's kind of what happened here, isn't it? So we'll deal with it when we deal with it. The only story to me is Mike finishing up. You know, remember they don't get to do playoff games. That was a big part of our discussion. I wouldn't have been at the garden today. If I had, if I had taken a full-time TV job and wanted to do that, I wouldn't have been doing any of these big games coming up here. I wouldn't be doing the playoffs. How do you think I'd be feeling in game seven of the Celtics Bucks Eastern conference finals? If I was sitting home, not doing it. So, right. You know, there's, there's all those things, everything factors in, but again, to me, it's about this team in 2024 and how it, how it ends. And I'm glad Mike gets to do these, you know, big games in a way, if the team wasn't good, maybe we would would have celebrated him more. I would have, Personally, if you're asking me for a comment on anything, since I just spent 10 minutes not commenting, I would hoped that this had been more of a Mike celebration this year um, throughout the course of the year. But obviously, I don't get to make those decisions. So, you know, Max and I will honor him when it's time, right, in our in our own way when we get towards the end. But in the meantime, I just can't imagine people care as much as we are making it seem like they would care by talking about it. So I, I promised Chad, I promised everybody when it's time to talk, We'll talk, but to me, the it's, it's like whenever people come to me, I'm like, look at the court, look at the court right now. That's like that's that's the story. You know, it's funny though that that you say that Michael B. You know, obviously he'll do as many games as NBC Sports Boston can during the first round of the playoffs, and and then he's done. But I mean, isn't there a, maybe there's some like you said, sort of inside baseball to this in terms of what's allowed, what isn't allowed? But you know. Hall of Famer and knowing his connection, which is very, very close to Mike Breen, obviously. If the Celtics are in the NBA Finals, you're going to tell me Mike Gorman isn't going to pop on an ABC mic at some point during one of those games? I, I'm i sure – my guess is that he probably won't, but, uh, I, you know, uh, the mics on our side will be open if he certainly wants to do that. I tried. Uh, you may remember my first year here, this came up, and the Celtics had a chance to go to the Finals, and I, I didn't even think twice that I offered Mike to come and – sit and call part of a game and and be with us. Marv in 1994, when the Rangers won the Stanley cup, Marv, Marv was in the booth at the end for that. And he had long since stopped doing, you know, Rangers radio or something he did when he was much younger, but yeah, uh, yeah I don't think there's any, any question. Like I said, that you want to worry about, that's a great thing to worry about, right? Like, Hey, let's see if we get Mike in here to do, uh, to do some of the finals. We did a game, forgotten part of history, by the way, Mike and I did a game together because I always wanted to do a game with him and he joined me and did color. Game three of the Cleveland series in 2008. Hmm. And Mike and I did a game together, which is always cool that we got a chance to do that. But, um, you know, it's uh, that's a lot of 43 years is a long, long, long time. It's a <laughs> lot of games, a lot of institutional memory. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. Joe and I talked about it before the game today. You know, institutional memory and how important it is uh, within a basketball team, within an organization. And we're going to lose a lot of that when we lose Mike. Yeah, anything to add? No, uh, you know, look, <laughs> I, I'm with Sean. It's, this is it's interesting that uh, all the focus is on the court, considering you know Mike is almost done here. But to the the credit of the Celtics, they've kind of 
given us something else to talk about. You know, they've just been awesome. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm just hopeful. The injury bug is the only thing that, that I only, that's the only storyline I care about from here to the end of the season is, is, is injuries. And that's it. If they're healthy, they're just, they're, it's been a fun couple of months. Mm-hmm. And even, even within, you know, like, uh, this whole Jason Tatum picking up steam to be the MVP thing. I don't even care about any of that. I just love the way this team handles their business night in and night out. And after all the stuff that we've talked about, Sean, to me, the biggest difference just feels this team seems to handle their business better than any iteration of it before. Yeah. There's, and you could say, listen, we fall back on the sort of, uh, look down your nose expression of adults in the room. But I think that's certainly the case because guess what? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were 21, 22 years old. They were growing up in front of our eyes. And it was obvious when you met them as 19, 20-year-olds that they were way beyond their years that way. But now they have both that experience and, you know, life experience. And there are a lot of adults in the room and guys who've had long runs. And obviously Drew's been there before and won a championship that uh, – there is very little question that the pieces, basketball-wise, but also professional-wise, are in that room right now. So, again, let's enjoy the final 22 games. Enjoy the run. Certainly hope nobody gets hurt. And, by the way, as a Celtic fan, I know there are people who don't think this way. I don't want Embiid to be hurt. I don't want Giannis to get hurt. I want You want to, you want to see it. I want to see this team play out because there are great, great teams out there. And, by the way, we all think the Timberwolves and the Thunder – are going to play the roles that the Grizzlies and the Kings played last year because they were too young. That would our buddy Lee Corso say, not so fast, my friends. These are legit teams. Anthony Edwards is a legit top 10 player in the league right now. Minnesota has unbelievable size. I don't – everyone just assumes that Golden State and the Lakers, one of them will survive this play and they'll get through and they'll wreak havoc and they'll take the young teams out. No, that's – I'll say it on March 3rd. That's not going to happen. Those teams are too good. Yeah, I mean, I believe that the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs. The Warriors will. But I don't think that just means they're going to wreak havoc at, yeah. at all. I just think they're going to get in. You know? I can, I tell, they got a strength to get in. I'd say it's almost every time I watch Oklahoma City. I am so impressed with Chet. I cannot believe what he can do at this stage. I, hey, listen, Chet's rookie of the year, nine, 99 times out of 100. But right. <laughs> not yeah. this year, he's not. Nope, nope. Nope. Speaking of MVPs, I don't know how many Jason Tatum's going to win, but that that dude down there is going to win multiple MVPs. He is he is changing the game. I wouldn't, wouldn't wait. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't yeah. wait your turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, you watch the game against against Chet and the Thunder the other night. That was musty TV. I couldn't take my eyes off off the screen for that Spurs Thunder game the other night. It was I fun. think uh, you know Spurs beat the you know just as. We wrap this thing up. Spurs, who I have the under on their win total this year, so they they hurt me a little bit tonight. Although they're still at a dozen. Spurs beat the Pacers tonight, and uh, and once again, I mean, Wemby went off. Thirty-one points, twelve rebounds, six assists, a steal, six blocks, and all of that in thirty-one minutes. He's. I'll tell you what. He's ornery too. He's ornery. He wants to win. This isn't like this happy-go-lucky kid from France. Like. It, when, when that dude with that body and those that skill set starts wanting to tear your throat out, which he does, I mean, he he locked up. Chet Holmgren is a really good player in this league, and Wemby locked him up late in that game. Like, this is this thing's really happening. So, for the Celtics, we're talking about winning in 2020. That's the reason they need to win. 
Yeah. yeah. All these guys. Shea, Shea is coming. And Wemby's coming. And yeah. all these great players are coming. And by the way, we're three or four years away from Jalen and Jason being the old guys that those guys are going to want to knock off. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's the next stage. It's all coming. But you can't picture any of that right now because the Celtics haven't won yet. No, I mean, it, it's true. And this is, we'll sign off because this is, this is just such a longer conversation. We could have another time. But to your point exactly, you know, I, I think some people, not like the diehards, but I think some people kind of forget when that, you know, the the new big three era, when that was put together by Danny, you know, it, it was Pierce and Garnett and Allen, like all of these guys were basically 30 years old and looked at as, well, they've done everything individually. All they haven't done is, you know, they, they haven't won the title yet. And so, like you said, I mean, hopefully Tatum and Brown have won, if not multiple championships by then. Mm-hmm. But they're only a few years away from 30 and being just at that stage of their career where they are, you know, still in their primes. It's still a prime, you know, portion of your NBA career, but they are they're going to be entering that kind of old guard a little bit. You know, you will have guys that are a full decade younger than them in the NBA. And it's just it's wild to think about. Good problems to have. League is in unbelievably good shape right now. Yeah, without a doubt. Sean Grandy, we always enjoy having you on here, man, obviously, and uh, we'll certainly do it again as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. I can't believe it has been this long since, uh, you know, going all the way back to the summer since we had you on to begin with. But uh, if if there's ever a good time to do it, it's when the team is, you know, coming off a 50-plus point win and sitting at 48-12. and That's that's nice. Three quarters of the way through the regular season and hopefully many, many months still to follow as we get toward – mid to late June, and hopefully another duck boat parade. But for Sean, for Evan Valenti, I'm Adam Kaufman. Great to be back with you, by the way. It's been a couple of weeks. We'll do it again next week here on Celtics Beat. Let's uh, enjoy that game against Denver. Maybe the Celtics only win this one by about 30.